Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. We are KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And it's getting pretty close to French Open season. It is the clay court season. And we've got a lot to get to. KickServeRadio.com is featuring Mats Vlander, three-time French Open champion, seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer, Texas Longhorn, all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden, also a proud former Longhorn. And Johnny, normally we go to Matt's, but we're starting with you because although we are a tennis show, the fact is you live in Phoenix, and Phoenix is the epicenter of sports stories right now. After what happened with the 64-win Phoenix Suns, blowing a two-game-to-love lead two years in a row, Chris Paul losing his fourth game seven in a row, and I've got to know what is the talk on the street in Phoenix after a collapse of epic proportion. I don't care what sport you're talking about. Well, people are blown away, Andy, Um, and it's good to be with you guys. It's been a couple weeks, so fun to be back. But uh, here in Phoenix – you know, I think there's just the shock factor still. When you think about um, having won 64 games in a year and basically towards the end of the se- regular season, the Suns looked unbeatable. Um, and they were just, you know, basically blowing through opponent after opponent. You get into the playoffs, things started to change a little bit, you know, with the uh, New Orleans series. But still, you know, we thought they were going to get through and then, we ran up against Luka Doncic, which, uh, you know, many might say that he's the best player in the NBA, and he sure looked like it in this series and especially yesterday. But, you know, when you really think about game five, the Suns were blown out pretty good in that game, too. No, the Suns actually blew out Dallas in game five. In game six, I meant. I'm Correct. sorry, in okay, game yeah. six. I meant game six in Dallas. Right. And so I think some of the Suns fans were a little nervous because that was not a great effort. Um, and then obviously, you know, you come into game seven here in Phoenix with the crowd. Um, you know, I certainly thought the Suns were going to win, but, but very early on, it was a different story and Dallas never let up. And now we're talking about, you know, Chris Paul and, you know, what happened to Devin Booker. And, you know, so it's kind of like the same old story from last year when they were up two zero against the Bucks. And I think the Suns now have to look at retooling because the West is going to be incredibly tough next year with guys that, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Jamal Murray coming back from injury, um, just to, to, to name a few. So, you know, we'll have to get through it and move on. So, Matt, I think people that listen to our show realize by now that your knowledge of American sports is minimal at best. But the fact of the matter is, you know, a good choke when you see one. And so my question to you is, do you give more credit in a situation 
like this to a Luka Doncic at age 23 coming in and putting a team on his back and taking on an entire fan base and an entire building and wagging his finger in their face and basically laughing at them? Or do you say, sons, what the hell happened? Well, I mean, uh, yes, my knowledge of American sports is minimal at <laughs> best, for sure. Um, I'm a longtime New York Rangers fan. And okay. uh, New York Knicks, I went to see quite a bit. Uh, I, when they got to the, to the NBA Finals one year, lost to Houston. Uh, so I guess it's kind of back to that same thing where uh, in tennis they say, well, he or she has so much experience uh, playing in the second week of a major or she or he has been to three semifinals before. I mean, I think the best experience a player can have, whether it's basketball, tennis, is the no fear for the unknown. And the pressure is on your opponent, uh, obviously. And, uh, and I think that's what, that's what happens in sports more often than we realize is that these young guys that come out, they have no fear. Not at all, nor do they have any pressure. I don't care how much they're getting paid. And I think in American sports, sometimes we look at their contracts and say, oh, well, he's making this and this and he should be carrying the team or whatever. Um, and, I, and I really feel like the, the, the young guys today in any sport are, are making a mark because they've grown up watching these superstars like LeBron James, for example, the late Kobe Bryant. And I think they learn so much at a really, really young age and we can't teach them that, but they see great things and then they just sort of uh, live that life. And I, I just go back to Bjorn Borg, same thing. I never met him, uh, never tried to be like him, but it was kind of like a subject in school. That's how Bjorn Borg plays tennis. Why not play exactly like Bjorn Borg? Seems to work for him. Johnny, the unlikeliness of what happened in Phoenix is why I wanted to talk about it tonight because the unlikeliness of a 17-year-old boy going into his first French Open, his first main draw of a major, and going along the way, taking out the likes of Vitas Gerolaitis, Jose Luis Clerc, Yvonne Lendl, Guillermo Vilas. I think Mass just explained it and hit the nail on the head. It's the lack of fear of the unknown. And when we look back on Mass's victory at the French Open 40 years ago in about two three weeks, we now maybe understand where his mind was is what's there to be afraid of. I'm a 17 year old kid. I got nothing to lose. Yeah. And that's, you know, we always uh, play fearless when there's nothing to lose. And so when you're favored, it's a different deal. And, and that's where, you know, the psychologist working with athletes now is to, how do you get your athlete to be able to play without fear, even when they are favored or where they're heavily favored. And, and that's the trick. And so, Nadal is a guy that seems like he never feels like he's, um, you know, the favorite. He's always playing, you know, free tennis and and feels as if um, it's an even match. He plays like he's broke is what Jimmy Connors, Matt's would say about Rafael Nadal. Right. And I thought that that was a beautiful assessment, basically alluding to exactly what Johnny was just saying. Is that something that, in your opinion, you're working from everyone from, you know, beautiful little seven-year-old girls like Holly in, in Sun Valley to touring pros that are trying to win major championships? And is that something that you can coach into a player, that ability to flip the script internally in your mind 
to convince yourself that you're actually an underdog when you're a guy that's won 12 French Opens and you're at the French trying to make everybody feel like you're really the underdog when there's absolutely no way that's true. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and I do think that Nadal, I lose count, but did he not win his 13th the other year? Or is he at 12? I can't I he's remember. He's at 14. I don't Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. that Rafa, <laughs> uh, Rafa and uh, Johnny, I agree 100% with you. I think that Rafa Nadal has this ability. And I do think that he gets really tight and he gets really nervous. Uh, and he famously once said himself that that his uh, his worst enemy is the scoreboard, where when he starts looking at the scoreboard, then he starts getting tight. Uh, and I think what you can learn from Rafa and what the Phoenix Suns might be able to pick up a few uh, hints about is that we're not playing like favorites. What we're doing is we're trying to make the other team worse. We're expecting nothing of ourselves in terms of shooting percentage because obviously shooting percentage is a risky thing. Some days, it's, some nights it's good, some nights it's not good. It's just like the first serve. Sometimes you serve 60%, sometimes you serve 80%. Uh, but Rafa has this incredible ability to respect his opponent enough where he's searching for their weakness uh, and he's fighting to exploit their weakness. And along the way, um, I think when he finds it or thinks he found it, he relaxes a little bit and out comes Rafael Nadal, the tw- 21-time uh, Grand Slam winner. And suddenly he plays the way he can play when he plays well. But in the beginning, I do believe, and I believe that Phoenix Suns, did, did, they got a shocking start in this game. Uh, and I think you got to go out there. And it's not about you. It's about them. It's about your opponent, whether you you fear them or respect them or you're going to make them worse. It doesn't really matter, but it's still about your opponent. You have to jump higher than them, uh, and it doesn't matter if you're favorite. So, yeah, Nadal, I mean, he's a legend in the way that he he pursues the, uh, the fight on court. In any round, it doesn't matter. First round, finals of the French Open, the same to him. Johnny, you're only going to be with us for a short period of time tonight. You've got other, you've got an assignment you got to get to after this, but I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to touch on what we're about to watch. And when we talk about this lack of fear of the unknown, it would seem like the guy that is potentially going to benefit from that concept. The most is Carlos Alcaraz as he goes into this French open. Now, my question to you is, does this guy, based on the year that he has had, now feel the pressure of expectations and maybe feel like he is being treated like a favorite? Or does he still have the right at age 19 and having not won a major to kind of walk in with the same kind of a feeling that Matt Svelander walked into that very same stadium 40 years ago? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. I think the fact that he hasn't won a major yet, that he – will not feel like he's the super favorite. Um, I think he's, it's, it's more so he's got the confidence now. But without any titles, I mean, they're all playing for the majors and he doesn't have one and he's still super young, looks up to those guys. I, I believe that, that Alcaraz will not feel the weight of the world when he goes into the French Open, even though a lot of people are talking about him being a favorite. You know, when you get to the Grand Slams and, and you get deep into the tournament, um, it's tough not to have nerves. There's, there's really only one of those guys that we know that, uh, that played without nerves and he's on our show. So maybe we can get his opinion on Alcaraz. 
Well, I want to ask you this, Matt, because if the burden of expectation is maybe kryptonite for a lot of these players, is it possible for Alcaraz that Djokovic's win in Rome maybe shifts a little bit more of the emphasis back onto Djokovic because now that he's won that title with a bona fide win over Tsitsipas in that final, a straight set win at that, then now the focus shifts back on over to the Joker as the prohibitive favorite with Rafa maybe being a bit dinged up. And maybe that puts Carlos to some extent, maybe a little back under the radar. Absolutely. I think so. I think Djokovic suddenly stepped into uh, the role of being the favorite. Um, Suddenly Novak has a good chance of reaching 21, uh, tying up Rafa Nadal at the top. And uh, uh, I think, uh, first of all, before I to talk about Carlos, it is true that I didn't really get nervous until the day that I got nervous. The day <laughs> that I got that. nervous, that was it. I was done. I was like, what is this feeling like? I'm joking. I don't feel this anymore. So for a while, yes, for a few years, I never felt that. But uh, And I think that Carlos Alcaraz, I think that what he goes into the French Open, the similarities is that he's got the confidence, like Johnny said, um, and I had a, a bunch of confidence from making the semis of Rome and had a few good wins, but never thought I could win the tournament. But I think the, the unknown uh, factor here is three out of five sets. And we know that somebody like Alexander Sasha Zverev struggled big time early on in his career. He was winning Madrid. He was winning Rome. He was winning Cincinnati Master Series tournaments, but he couldn't figure out how to play five sets. And with Carlos Alcaraz, it's possible that he walks on to into a five setter. And of course he's played a couple of them, but not for two weeks in a row. Uh, it's possible that he knows how to play five set matches, that it doesn't change anything in his mindset, but it is also possible that he goes in and, and doesn't quite understand when do I let go in a set? When do I keep fighting? When do I change my tactics so that even if I might lose the, the third set, uh, I save a bit of energy because I believe I'm going to win in four anyway. So that's the, that's the big thing. And I think that we don't talk about this enough. Obviously, the surface is hugely, hugely important for all the players, especially for the big three. But I think the older they get, the less important the surface is and the more important is the three out of five situation with three out of five sets. And I know we just watched the finals last year with Novak Djokovic and Stefano Tsitsipas. He was getting beaten badly badly and suddenly he's up a break in the third and I'm watching it I'm like oh that's it it's over Novak is back so I think that and we used to be better at that or we at least had more experience because we played Davis Cup and in those days Davis Cup was three out of five sets and that's not the case anymore so Carlos Alcaraz has played a few but uh, can he play three or four four or five setters in a row and have his best left in him when he runs into Novak in the later rounds. That's what's going to be interesting to find out. Takes a lot of mental endurance. Johnny, before we let you go, you love to talk American tennis. We haven't really seen anything from the Americans during this clay court season that makes us feel optimistic about even really a second week appearance. If we're being honest, Uh, when we look at what we saw in Rome, we saw John Isner go out without a whimper, three and one to a to a aforementioned nicked up Nadal. We saw Tommy Paul go out in straight sets to Alex Dimonar, five and four. We did see Jensen Brooksby get a nice win over David Goffin, who's been having a nice season. So that's a bona fide clay court win. Who, if anybody, going into this French Open, do you have maybe dark horse optimism about on the American side of things? 
Wow, it's a it's a tough one. I mean, uh, maybe Brooksby can get through a, ma- a couple matches, but you know, I don't know that he's really a true clay quarter. I mean, he's really a hardcore guy. You know, I think Marcus Garone had a decent win it at the Italian Open as a lucky loser. Who, yeah, no, he beat Schwartzman and he had a couple good wins. That's true. I mean, that's that that is a huge win. Right. You know, on clay to beat Schwartzman. You know, uh, Andy, I think you you might have nailed it. Taylor Fritz, maybe. I mean, I don't know. With his win at Indian Wells, is he the guy that you kind of have to hit your wagon to from just what we've seen this year and his ability to grind a little bit, his movement on clay? We don't really know. That could be suspect. And he doesn't always move great on a hard court, let alone on red clay. So, but that would seem to be the like. Then again, there's Riley Opelka that won in Houston. So yeah, you kind of throw your hands in the air and, and, and it's just a huge question mark, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, we have to give John Ister some credit for getting to the finals with Schwartzman. That was a lot of fun to see. Yes, uh, <laughs> in the doubles. I mean, that was a, quite a treat for the fans there, and they even had a match point. So that was that was a, a shame that they, they ended up losing to uh, to the pair that was our top seed at, at uh, in in Phoenix here, one Wimbledon. Pavic and Mektic, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was fun. But, you know, look, someone can come out of the woodwork. It always happens, whether it'll be an American, um, you know, we hope so. But uh, that's going to be quite a challenge, I think, on that red dirt. Well, when we come back, we will hear much more from the three-time French Open champion on a lot of subjects. Johnny, you got to duck out, but we got more to come on KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And we are coming up just a couple of weeks shy of a huge anniversary the 40th anniversary of Matt Spielander winning the French Open at 17, so we will definitely be discussing more of that. Johnny, thank you. Matt's will be right back. Don't go away, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's Spielander tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, Seven-time Grand Slam champion, Matt Spielander, now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with Matt is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with Matt, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team, and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MattsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. The great Mats Vlander, Andy Zoden with you. I'm your host, Johnny Levine. Joined us for a great segment, talking Phoenix Suns basketball, among other things. And Mats, I've got to start maybe kind of bringing it to my hometown because I would be remiss not to discuss the weekend that you treated some of my members of Columbine Country Club to, which was the inaugural Mats Vlander Tennis Training Camp at Gravity Fitness and Tennis in Haley, Idaho, and I got the opportunity to work alongside you, and I think we both feel like our expectations were exceeded with this, and from my standpoint, to see the players that ranged from about the 3-5 to about the 4-5 level play as inspired of tennis as they did and watch them improve over the course of just a few days right before my very eyes like that was an incredible thing to watch, an incredible experience for me as a pro and as a coach, and I know an incredible experience for my players. So thank you very much for that. No, thank you, Andy. It was, was you that brought them to, uh, to uh, Gravity Fitness and Tennis, my, my little tennis club. Uh, so much fun, first of all, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, very, very uh, small expectations. Um, not really, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I mean, it's indoors, so I knew that we we're going to get 10, 11 hours of tennis. Of course, no problem. But I think that what you don't know the, where there's no expectations is how are people going to take it? Are they, like you said, going to be inspired by it, which is obviously what you hope is going to happen. But maybe first you hope that they learn something. And I'm not sure that you can learn something without being inspired. So I think that that's the first step. Uh, that it seemed like we accomplished or they accomplished, I should say, because they're, 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 it's the players that play inspired. So I think that as long as I feel that enthusiasm, um, I think that you can inspire people. Now, do they learn something from that? I'm not really sure. Are they better players when they get home and uh, the snowstorm has blown over? I don't know that either. But I think inspiring people, players i think you can still do it if you're enthusiastic yourself and and uh now we have evidence of that definitely well it was not just the fact that we got the 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 10 hours of indoor tennis which as you said was guaranteed what wasn't guaranteed based on the weather was 36 holes of the most spectacularly scenic golf that anybody could ever hope to play on on two beautiful courses including your home course the valley club and then uh, the sun valley golf club Both were absolutely amazing experiences. And also an extra treat was the opportunity to get to work with your business partner, Oliver, who is clearly a a martial arts uh, extraordinaire. And and the breathing and the stretching exercises, you think, oh, we're going to go in for a breathing and stretching exercise. Yeah, you know, big deal. We do that. 
Oh my God. I mean, this was unlike anything I've ever experienced. So there was just all these extra little things, how quaint the town is and just walking around downtown and being a part of, of this, this little mountain town that's just so friendly and inviting. Uh, the whole entire experience, I think, was inspirational. But what I found with regard to why I felt that my players got better was that they felt your passion. Obviously, your experience and your information and your knowledge speak for themselves. But the presentation that you that you brought and them talking about coming up the next morning going, yeah, you know, I, I got on my phone last night and watched two sets of your match against Lendl, you know, in 88 and all the different things that you got them all wound up about. Uh, I think that that's real hard for coaches like myself and a lot of people in the business to be able to pull that off. And so for you to be able to bring who you are and what you've done into the world that I live in uh, makes it special for me. And, and to again, to see these players, and I highly encourage any of the teaching pros out there that are listening to give consideration to trying to put something together to come out to Haley, Idaho. It is just a well-kept secret. And it's what we did this uh, weekend was the start of some great things to come. I just hope that we'll still have a weekend for the Columbine people going forward. Cause once people start to find out what's available to them there, uh, I, I think you're going to have to have people pump the brakes. So you're going to have more there than you even want. And I think that the, um, um, let's see what players like me bring that have been, pros on tour that have gotten used to this lifestyle of playing four hours of tennis a day, uh, being completely focused all day. And it's all about tennis. Um, I think that we tap into that uh, lifestyle very easily. Um, And I think that when we started, I realized, Oh my God, how cool is this? I don't have to even leave my phone on because I'm going to be playing tennis all day. And of course we played 18 holes of golf a couple of times, but, but it's more of that. It's more about going into that bubble of, I'm going to worry about my tennis. We're going to do some stretching beforehand after afterwards. Uh, I know I'm going to eat dinner and go to bed. I'm going to be really tired. I'm going to get up the next morning and do the same thing again. So that simplicity of that lifestyle, even though physically it's pretty demanding, I think the, the emotional simplicity is something that that uh, people should uh, take advantage of if you, they ever get a chance to to go and visit. Not necessarily me, but someone that has been on tour uh, and, and that has a little bit of success, but more so that they've been on tour and they know what that means. And then they just do their thing, and then everybody else sort of follows along. And uh, I, I think that's uh, that's it's not easy to do at home. You play two hours a week, three hours a week. But at the same time, at least you get a glimpse of what it was like to be a, te- a pro tennis player for, for four days. I want to glom onto an expression that you used while you were just talking, and that's emotional simplicity, because I think that's much more difficult to come by than people realize. And, and let's, let's talk about it from the standpoint of the, the McEnroe versus McEnroe argument, where you've got Patrick that's on the side of, play more tennis, more tennis, more tennis, and then after that, play more tennis versus the John McEnroe approach, which is play tennis, play soccer, play basketball, swim, work out, keep your mind fresh, and you've got different players from different parts of the world doing it different ways successfully, but the emotional simplicity part to me seems like a bit of an elusive concept for people in this country. What is your advice there? 
Yeah, it's not easy to tap into for sure. Um, it's something that when you have it, you don't really understand. First of all, you don't think you're ever going to lose it, first of all. Uh, and uh, for me, emotional simplicity is just being on a tennis court, I have to say. It doesn't matter who I'm, who, who I'm teaching uh, or who I'm hitting against. Uh, it, it's, part of, it's definitely some sort of meditation, whether it's the sound of the ball um, or whether it's the movement or whether it's the combination of, of watching the ball. Maybe it's the, the challenge of I know, I know I used to be really good at this and maybe today I might not be. So it's heading into the unknown. But uh, I think that uh, for amateurs, they can find that emotional simplicity if they go on to the tennis court with very, very low expectations, again, on how they're going to hit the ball. High expectations on their own effort. Uh, high expectations on uh, on trying to watch the ball, trying to turn the shoulders, trying to put the right foot in the right place and the left foot in the left place, so to speak. Uh, but uh, when you start, emotional simplicity will not be found if you measure it towards the end result. You have to detach yourself from the end result, which in tennis is the ball going in or out. And it's, it's the process that leads up to that, and it's a process that takes you out of that, that's, the, uh, that's where you get emotional simplicity. And, and uh, it's unbelievable how uh, Rafael Nadal, I think he finds that too after a while when he's playing matches still. Not in the beginning. In the beginning, he doesn't. He's nervous as hell. But then suddenly he finds it, and Novak Djokovic is still finding it. That's what I lost when I got about 25, 26 years old, I, I couldn't. It was so many things attached to winning and the pressure of being number one in the world. And uh, should I even be on the same court as, as you? You're ranked 100. I'm ranked two. What the hell? Do you think you have any chance to beat me? And, and all these outside elements that, that uh, crowded my brain. And it wasn't simple at all uh, emotionally. In fact, it was so complicated that sometimes you feel like you don't care. And when you do that, it's time to most probably take a little break uh, and step away. I hope that Naomi Osaka finds it again. It would be really good. I, I feel like Andy Murray is finding it, which is so exciting. Uh, wh whatever his ranking ends up to be at the, at the end of his career, uh, he's beating Denis Shapovalov in Madrid. I mean, he's beating some big players. So it's not easy to find it. Uh, it's easy to lose it. Uh, so when you have it, you better cherish the, the time that you can spend with emotional simplicity. Andy Murray is finding it. Andy Zoden, I think it could be argued with respect to his golf swing, is far from it. I think you could probably attest to that as well as anybody right about now. <laughs> when we come back, we are going to talk more about what we might see two weeks from now. I think that there's a pretty good idea of what we're going to see when that women's trophy is being presented by Mats Lander, it looks like there is a prohibitive favorite, to say the very least. We'll be talking about her when we come back on KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Hey guys, Andy Zoden here with Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm excited because we're joined by Courtney Ward. And Courtney, you are in sports nutrition and you are with Body Fuse. Talk about how people 
north of the age of 45 are keeping fit and some of the things that they're doing to look like you do. (laughs) Well, hey, thank you, Andy. I so appreciate you having me on the podcast. And yeah, my company, Body Fuse, it's a sports nutrition company and I'm 48 years old. And first and foremost, I think we just simply after 40, 45 years old, we have to keep moving, doing the things you like to do and support that with sports nutrition. And the Body Fuse lineup has everything to help you from pre-workout, intra-workout and post-workout. And I think, you know, post 40 folks, it becomes very critical for us to support our bodies, both nutritionally and physically. So, you know, speaking to weight loss, the Body Fuse lineup has some great products uh, that specifically help to increase resting metabolic rate. And that's, uh, that's a product called a thermogenics and moving your body is key as well and doing it smart and supporting that with a post-workout is also very, very important as we, as we get older. How do folks get a hold of you? Our demographic of the folks that listen to our show happen to be right in your sweet spot. And I think it's a, a kind of a match made in heaven. My company is a company called Exclusive Nutrition Products. And I own, uh, within Exclusive Nutrition, we have basically three brands. Body Fuse is what we've been talking about is, is, is one of them. Black Dragon Labs is the second and Next Level Nutrition is the third. And our websites, uh, Body Fuse websites is bodyfuseusa.com and Black Dragon Labs is blackdragon-labs.com. She is Courtney Ward. And she is a sports nutritionist and a tennis player. Courtney, thank you very much. Well, thanks so much to you. I appreciate it, Andy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, final segment, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matt, when we went to break, we teased the fact that you would be giving out the ladies' trophy to the ladies' champion uh, in your 40-year anniversary celebration, part of it at the French Open this year. And right now, to call Iga Svantec a dominant force on the women's tour is the understatement of the year. I don't even know what the winning streak has reached now. I, I, 28, 29, 30 matches in a row. Where are we with that thing? I believe she's just uh, won her 28th match in a row, I believe. Okay. Um, and I do think that the more she wins, and of course now she's taking a week off, so that's it. She's done before the French Open. Now talk about a favorite and talk about pressure uh, and the pressure that she must feel playing in in uh, Madrid or in Miami after winning Indian Wells and then Rome after. I mean, there's, you can't compare it to playing at the French Open. And, the, and the, the most important part of that is that she deserves to be called a favorite because not only is she winning everything now, she has won the French Open. So we now 
uh, automatically expect her to know how to go into the French Open uh, and most probably to deal with the pressure. She did well when she defended her title. Um, I believe she got to the quarters or the semis um, the year that, that uh, she defended her title. So good enough. But again, can she deal with it? I think she's so much better than everybody else right now that I think that she will have some ups and downs. But uh, again, it's all mindset. Can she keep it simple? Right now, she's keeping her tennis so simple on the court. She, she smacks the hell out of the ball for sure. Um, she fights really hard for every ball, especially out in her backhand corner. And I haven't seen another woman be as good defensively in the backhand corner as Iga Schwantek and very much like Novak Djokovic with an open stance and very strong with the open stance backhand. And there really isn't a hole in her game at the moment. So pressure. Yes, she is obviously in Poland, uh, one of the biggest stars that, that's ever uh, entered into the sports arena. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how she handles it. But yeah, we have to call her a massive favorite for sure. When we went to break, you and Johnny were talking offline about how the best of five versus the best of three puts the the experienced players at a distinct advantage because it sounded like, without me putting words in anybody's mouth, it gives the great ones more time to potentially dismantle you know, someone that is coming at them with a head of steam and be able to have more time with which to kind of deal with it, you know, maybe – flip the script a little bit. Is it safe to also say that the surface offers the same benefit because of the fact that if someone in Iga Svantec's case, for instance, starts to feel the heat of one of the bigger hitters on tour coming at them on a clay court, that that clay court might offer her more time to kind of take a deep breath, think about a few things, get back to what had been working for her in the 28 wins in a row and be able to win a, 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 a two, six, seven, five, six, three kind of a deal. I mean, I think a hundred percent you, you again, hit the nail on the head. Obviously it's tougher for the women to play two out of three sets, because if you get a bit unlucky for the first 45 minutes to an hour, you could be down a set. You could be down a break in the, in the second and the way that the ladies are serving these days and the way they strike the ball. Um, you have to have some luck if you should go down. But I think for, uh, for Iga, uh, Schwantek, the fact that it's clay, I think for her, obviously it's an advantage the way she plays, but also she puts in her mind for sure that hold on a second. If she plays against somebody that's a big ball striker, like an Anisimova, are they really going to be able to hit the ball that clean for that long to beat me on a clay court? Because there are some bad bounces and you cannot take the ball as much on the rise on a clay court as you can on a hard court. That's for sure. Everybody knows that. So in that sense, the clay helps her for sure. It's easier to defend because of the sliding part. Uh, that's for sure as well. And I think the advantage uh, that the men have playing three out of five sets I think that advantage is is different for women, but the fact that for Iga Schwantek, I think she's she's going to learn, and she most probably has to be. She's going to learn to play every match like it is the last match of the tournament, or it's the finals of a tournament, and she knows. And all those Simona Halep's of the world that have won a bunch of majors, they know that you can't just ride the wave of confidence 
unless you're really good in a major. You can do that in, in smaller tournaments. You play on Tuesday night, you play Wednesday, you play Thursday, you play four or five days in a row, and you just kind of, you don't even wake up. You just warm up in the morning and you play the same as you did yesterday. Now you have a day to think about it. And I think that's where the experience comes in for a lot of women. And, and I think for Iga, I think she's uh, uh, in the right place right now in terms of her mindset. She's not talking about number one in the world. She's not talking about winning the French Open. She is going about her business and it's the process of becoming better mentally more than anything, which is why she travels with, a, with her own sports psychologist. I'll tell you what, tennis fans, it wasn't that long ago, but it certainly seems a long time ago that the double Cinderella story of Emirata Kanu versus Leila Fernandez playing in the finals of a major championship just happened two majors ago. And yet, Matt, it seems like forever compared to the, you know, and Pat Cash came on with us before the Australian Open and said, there are 30 or 40 women in that locker room after this U.S. Open that feel like they can win a major. And it certainly seems like Iga Svantec has squashed that theory. Yes, I think she has. And I think that uh, there are are 30 or 40 women that can win on hard courts. Right. But I think when you get to grass and clay, I think you need a little more experience. Um, You need to be a, 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 let's call it a better tennis player. And Barbora Krajcikova showed that last year where she obviously won the doubles as well. Um, she didn't necessarily overpower players in singles, but but the craftsmanship is incredible. And I think that's where clay differs, uh, obviously, for the men, but but more so on the women's side. And uh, I think we've seen that time and time again. So Iga Schwantek seems to have pretty much anything that she wants to to pursue on a tennis court. And the question is going to be, is, um, is how simple is she going to be able to keep it tactically? Is she just that much better than everybody else that she can just play her way of tennis, ride the wave into winning her second Grand Slam? Or will there be times when she's going to have to maybe hit a slice backhand and hit a drop shot and come to the net? And that's, uh, I mean, I hope she gets pushed because she has an enormous repertoire in her game, but we just haven't haven't seen that lately because no one's really pushed her. All right, before we go, Matt, first of all, congratulations on what you're about to experience when you go there, because you're going to be treated like a king and you deserve to be. And the three-time winner there, your 40-year anniversary. But 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 that was then and this is now. And I want to know who you feel now that the draws are not out, so you're not be able to operate by looking at the draw. But if you had to pick a final four, who do you think breaks out and makes the semifinals of this year's French Open? And then once they get there, who wins, who plays the final, and who wins this thing? Well, I think there would be really unfair to not say that Novak Djokovic is the clear favorite right now after winning in Rome. Okay. Um, and I think if he is up against Carlos Alcaraz, I think that that match that uh, Alcaraz won in Madrid is is rubbed out in no, from Novak's memory. I don't think that makes any difference to him. I think the fact that it's three out of five sets doesn't matter if Carlos Alcaraz is physically as strong as Novak. I think that Novak will find some reason uh, to believe that he, uh, Carlos, cannot play five sets in the same fashion that Novak himself can play. I would say Novak, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and of course, if Rafa Nadal is somewhat healthy, uh, I would say that those four are the ones that I expect being in the semis. Well, obviously, you have to be very aware that someone like uh, Alexander Zverev can serve his way through to a semis or a finals, 
um, at Roland Garros. Uh, very solid from the baseline, but maybe is lacking a little bit of, of confidence, maybe lacking a bit of joy when he's playing, it seems. But you never know. You get to a major, uh, some players are able to just say, okay, you know what? doesn't matter what happened in the last month or two months or three months. This is three out of five sets. And you're going to have to nearly die an athlete's death out there to beat me. And I think there's a few players that actually believe that. I think Sasha Zverev is that. Andre Rublev is one of them. I hope Kasper Ruud is one of them as well. Um, but um, it, it's going to be interesting. Daniil Medvedev, not a clinical specialist, but wow, tough to get out in five sets. So I think it's going to be an unbelievably good tournament, both on the men's side and the women's side. And for once... The favorite is more clear on the women's side than on the men's side, I think. No question. Last question. Matt, are we going to talk about Roger Federer in advance of a major championship in 2022 preparing to take the court? Well, I would love to see him take the court again. Obviously, the way that he went out in Wimbledon last year, losing uh, that last set to uh, Hubert Hurkacz, uh, six love. I think that that rubs a lot of people the wrong way for sure. I personally don't really care. I would love to see him give it another shot. Not not another shot with saying like Tiger Woods did at the Masters, where well, I'm not playing unless I can. I think I can win. Uh, tennis is a little bit different because you you can affect your opponent. Uh, and uh, I think Roger Federer uh, believes he can still play some great tennis. I would love to see him play another major because I think we need to, we want to give him a farewell. And I'm not saying I think he's done and not at all, but I would love to see him get a proper farewell the day that he decides to play his last major. And I can only imagine that Wimbledon will be his last major. Uh, whatever year that happens. Well, not only uh, do you get an opportunity to affect your opponent in tennis and not golf, but it's kind of hard to play tennis on one leg the way Tiger <laughs> tried to play yeah. golf at the Masters. He is the great Mats Vlander, and we celebrate the 40-year anniversary of his win at Roland Garros back in 1982 as just a young 17-year-old pup, but now a little longer in the tooth, and he is a man of experience, and he will be treating a lot of viewers on Eurosport to that experience. They'll be celebrating uh, in Paris for and with him. Congratulations on all of that, Mats. Thank you. And we will be back with more KickServeRadio.com after the French Open with Matt Spielander and Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. We are KickServeRadio.com, and we are proud partners with the Tennis Channel Podcast Network.